Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Oh, that sounded good today. I like that. <clears throat> That's what happened when you do the, the vocal warm-ups. Uh, Sally sells seashells at the seashore. Oh, that didn't sound good at all. I have a, all right. We just we got to do more warm-ups, right? The, the alliterations. Uh, I'm excited today. You, you hear giggling in the background already. That's a good sign, people. Giggling in the background. Uh, we have Chasey. Ch Ch Chasey, see? That, oh my, I don't even drink. This is why I don't drink, people, because I make enough blunders being sober. That's, that's the problem. I haven't even figured out sobriety yet. Uh, I, can't even, I can't bring alcohol into all of this. Uh, <laughs> we have Tracy Lynn in the background, in the building, on the podcast. Uh, she's a, a yoga. I, I, you know what? Yoga teacher seems um, diminishing because I've watched your videos and on YouTube. Uh, you, you've been doing these live, unedited. I mean, the courage and the vulnerability uh, that, that you're displaying doing that, first of all. And, um, and, and when I watch you, I feel like it's it's a, a it's a class like it's a master class it's a seminar on reconnecting with the self and, and also on movement and learning how to use your body uh, and I see you nodding your head Tracy T talk to me like what what, what what are you an I think educator is the word uh, guru why not guru let's throw that out there I I definitely wouldn't call myself a guru. <laughs> <laughs> But I do really, uh, I, I, I find myself clinging tightly to the word movement um, to describe what I do, because I think as human beings, we move throughout the world in a lot of different ways. We can move through conversation, we can physically move our body, our stories take time and there's movement, and even within that, and I think that when we just drop into the body and the body as it experienced the world somatically, there's a lot to uncover there. And I try to help people navigate that. You talk about movement and a lot of times people get stuck. How do we get unstuck? I think we first have to find why we're stuck. Often I work with people that are dealing with trauma or they're dealing with hangups on how their body moves through space. I've been having a lot of conversations with people that I work with recently about that. And sometimes when I work with people one-on-one, -on -one, we're not even doing movement together, but we're, we're just talking because there are there, there's a stuckness that some people need to work for, work through before they get into the movement itself. So it, it sounds like there, there needs to be some type of um, awareness or just peeling back some of the layers that are weighing us down before we can even get into it. it, it I, what comes to mind is like when you're laying in bed and you have all these covers on top of you. And it's like, we got to take the covers off before we can get into any type of movement practice. And sometimes the, the weight of those covers of those blankets, um, it, it could be emotional stress, work-related, uh, like you said, traumas, things like that. Like, we got to get that stuff off 
before we could even talk about a downward dog or uh, a warrior <laughs> too, right? Yeah, I really like that analogy. And, you know, it's it's always good to talk about it, but then it's always, you know, I mean, sometimes the hardest thing is to just start. There's There's a little bit of paralysis for a lot of people because they don't know how or they're worried that they're doing it incorrectly. There's this mistrust of themselves. And I think it's a very modern problem um, because our society is really, not all of it, I feel very fortunate to work the way I work, but a lot of folks, you know, much like my husband who's about to probably walk in the door, there's a lot of time spent seated or in your car going from one place to the other and there's a bit of a disconnect in what our body can do and what it should do potentially on a daily basis. Yeah, because you go from your bed to your car to your office, uh, back to your car, mm-hmm. home to your couch, and then bed. And your your body is just moving in, in kind of the same uh, patterns. Uh, throughout the day. And so the, the blood starts to circulate in a way that supports that. And then when you try to open it up, you try to expand, uh, that's where we start to feel uncomfortable, not knowing that that is where we actually should be comfortable, but we just haven't been exploring those areas of our, of our bodies, uh, the way that it can move. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people seek permission to do that. And what I try to remember the most is that like the best teachers are the ones that just lead you back to yourself. So I'm I'm not the one that's laying out the path. I'm just like holding the light, like you're going to be the one walking down it. Um, but yeah, it's really, it can be really intimidating, really scary or even again, like I, like I mentioned, it can just be the unknown of like how, okay, I, yes, this is my routine. I go from bed to car to work, back to car to couch, and I know that I need to do something better for myself. I just don't know how to do that. It's really it can be difficult implementing that change because it's very, very radical. All right, Tracy, I, I'm excited. My, my pupils just dilated. You talked about <laughs> leading people back to themselves. Okay, so many people I know, I, I, especially for me, I'm doing some inner work. I'm just trying to get in touch with the nine-year-old Leo who's out there <laughs> and needs to be held. Um, leading one back to themselves. Please tell me more about that. What, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, I, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat right now. Gosh, well, I've never really answered that, but um, I believe that we all have this innate understanding of who we are and what we are and what we're capable of doing, what our own rhythm is, uh, and not everybody has the same rhythm, blueprint, everything is different. But it's very easy, especially in, again, the modern world, the way we set up what a workday is supposed to look like, what a workout is supposed to look like, what a diet is supposed to look like. I mean, there's variance, of course, 
But I think a lot of people want to know like, well, what do you do specifically? And I was like, okay, I'll tell you what I do, but I'm going to be pretty much positive that it's not going to be the exact thing you need. We need to go down a route of discovery as to what works for us and who we are and how do those two things intertwine so that we feel, I don't necessarily want to say the word like healthy because health looks different to everybody. I guess just at home within your own body, like safe in this, in your skin. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to be the, the threshold for people to get there. Okay. You using words like threshold. I got to step my game up. All right. Threshold for people to get there. I, what, what I love about you saying safety um, and feeling safe coming back to yourself. Wow. That's powerful because Michelle and I were in couples therapy uh, a few hours before this and it went well, we're still together. And, um, and one of the things that, or two things that really became the theme of the, the session was safety and trust. And our therapist was sharing how without safety, there really can be no joy or playfulness. Um, one of the, the, the key elements of longevity for a relationship is, uh, is do you feel safe enough within the relationship to experience joy and, uh, and playfulness? And, and without that, um, it, can, it can feel stagnant, stifling, and then we start to go outside of ourselves and outside of the relationship to try to find that. Um, I see you nodding your head a little bit. Uh, can, can you, you want to add to that? Well, just before I got onto this podcast, myself and my husband got into a little bit of a disagreement. So I'm kind of laughing <laughs> just about like, oh my God. Yeah, that's right. Like it was very important for me to communicate about, you know, where I was going to position myself for the podcast and this and this. And, and it's, I have you know, because of my own life experiences and, and big T and little T traumas and things I'm currently working through, it's really easy for me to fall back into these patterns um, where I'm not communicating effectively and it affects my relationships. <laughs> and I kind of default into these like weird survival mechanisms that I convinced myself were how I was going to live <laughs> and so it's like no 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 like it's it's okay you're safe you can express yourselves this is a person that encourage you encourages you to be yourself because he loves you and he wants you to have that same relationship with yourself so it's it's okay if there was a mishap in communication i'm i'm kind of a person that overcorrects i don't know if you're if you're the same as me, but I, I am a big overcorrector, a perfectionist. I like being edgy and wild and out there, but at the same time, I hate rocking the boat. So there's a lot of <laughs> conflicting things that go on in my head when I'm interacting with other people. Oh, you preaching to the choir, Tracy. You know, I was 275 and then I went raw vegan. So talk about overcorrecting. Wow, I went right <laughs> off the highway. I went 
through the the barriers. It was like the end of a, a Dukes of Hazard episode where the car uh, goes off the cliff and then pauses in midair. I was like, uh oh. I looked down and just dropped. Uh, no, no, I'm, a, I'm all about that overcorrecting. And uh, but you know, I'm I'm 45. I, I don't know how old you are. And uh, I tell you, as you as you get older, you start to find your middle. Um, you start to cherish the the nuances, the subtleties. Uh, I, I think, you know, especially when I, you know, being when I was in my 20s, I mean, definitely in my teens, but 20s and 30s, uh, when there's a lot more testosterone flowing. I don't worry. I still got I still got the big T. Don't worry about Leo Flowers. I'm over here. I'm drink, I'm, I'm eating the fish oils, you know. Uh, so the big T is, is still there, you know, but, uh, but I'm also finding, uh, th- that middle ground where it, it's not so much about passion and excitement. It's about intimacy and connection. Like, can we sit in the same space and, and feel safe with each other and have that be as enriching and nourishing as, a trip to Paris or something like that. Yeah. I think that uh, I just feel very fortunate that I have (laughs) me and Kamar like to joke a lot. We're like, fuck, thank God we both went to as much therapy as we went to before we got into this relationship (laughs) because, oh my gosh. I mean, it's like, it is, really really easy to get off track and yes I mean I was definitely a shit show from about age 12 into the you know mid 20s for me kind of have teetered out now that I'm starting to head in towards my mid 30s it's it's even more so and I don't know about you but the pandemic has cooled my jets off even more so my (laughs) I'm settled into this whole different level of energy output versus what I was doing before and that definitely reflects in my relationship with my partner we would much rather stay home and play video games or just recently we're like oh we really need to do something where we're working on it together so he suggested getting a puzzle so I got us a puzzle and we've been working on this puzzle and that's been a really awesome thing that we've been doing together so there's always these ways to kind of negotiate and find the balance between what we need together collectively, individually, which I always feel like when we're co- connecting with ourselves individually, that reflects in our relationships and partnerships. Yeah, that shared meaning, you know, that, that was the other thing that came up in our session was uh, that this idea of, uh, pri- no, that wasn't in our se- I forget, but I heard it today and, so, and somebody was talking about you don't want to find a project, right? Like in terms of a significant other, you know how they talk about like women love oh, a, yeah. a guy that they can fix up, a fixer upper. <laughs> um, and what I realize is that what we what we don't want is for the other person to be the project. What we want is somebody that we can share in a project with, right? Whether that's building a home, building a business, raising a family, um, you know, volunteering. It's like, who do I want to have that shared, create that shared meaning with? What what kind of projects do we want to do together versus I'm going to fix you? You know, like that burns out very quickly. Oh, absolutely. That gets so tired so, so, so quickly for me. 
I mean, right now we're kind of getting ready to buy our first home, which is a really big deal. We also just got married. I feel like we've had so many life experiences kind of crammed into this short amount of time and we're really doing the best we can to meet those hurdles and challenges. I mean, if anything, I'm like so grateful that I'm meeting these with another person. So there's that little bit of buffer as we approach things. But yeah, being goal-oriented together has completely changed the dynamic and, and sets it apart from any other relationship I've had before. Because it is a thing. It's like, no, we're doing life together. There's, there's no buts about it. We are doing this as a unit, as a team. You said you're just getting married. Congrats. You just got married. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Like a month ago. A month ago. What? Yeah, Where, where'd you do it? Was it a Zoom wedding? No, we had this very small gathering together. My family's in California. His family's in Texas. So we only had like, I think we had like 14 people max that got together. And we went to this really kind of gorgeous oak covered, Spanish moss covered park and did this really small, intimate gathering. And it was everything that we wanted. My dad and stepmom came in and I have not seen them in a very long time because they live in Thailand. And so it was really awesome to be able to get everybody together. Did you grow up in Thailand? No, that's just my, my stepmom is Thai. Okay. Um, so she owns land out there and they decided to go back out there and retire which is fantastic i think they're having an awesome time out there traveling and stuff so you you've been married for about a month and it sounds like the the families on both sides get along um and earlier you referred to you know the the shit show that was your earlier life yeah what in marriage so much of it is un Peeling away the messages we received about gender roles in a relationship. A man does this, a woman does that. Have uh, oh, you took a big exhale? Uh oh, she she leaned back in the chair, ladies and gents. Uh oh, uh oh, it's coming. It's uh oh, we 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 touched on something. I'm, I'm reading the body language. Um, what type of messages did you receive um, in terms of? how a, a person or a woman should be in a relationship and how is that showing up now for you? Well, my upbringing was very traditional, but you know, it was the mom does the whole thing at home and the dad is the breadwinner always. And that was, you know, pretty much perpetuated on both sides. My parents divorced pretty early. So in addition to, you know, having this, just growing up in general, I was, you know, bouncing between two different houses, having two different holidays, two different Thanksgivings, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and then I was also, you know, my, my dad just really likes to be partnered with somebody. Like he just needs a partner. And my mom, on the other hand, just does life solo. Like she has I'm not going to say she has zero interest, but I'm going to say she's very acclimated to being on her own. And so after, you know, everything I, I experienced when I was a teenager and, you know, heading into my 20s, 
I just really thought that I probably wasn't going to do the traditional partner route and I wasn't going to do marriage or anything like that. But here we are. We be married as hell. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say that I automatically fill roles because we don't. I feel like we do a really good distribution of like, you do this, you do that. Like he's a hell of a cook in the kitchen. I'm really, really blessed that my partner is really great in the kitchen. Um, But no, I mean, I think it's constantly, especially because I work from home now because of the pandemic and he goes to work. There's always this balance that I'm trying to walk where I want to make sure I'm not just trying to just do everything for him and make sure that there's like an equal distribution of tasks. You talk about not doing everything for him because that's what you saw your mom do, right? Like your mom was doing all the things around the house where she sounds like she was cooking, cleaning laundry and you're recognizing um, part of that uh, muscle memory in yourself or you're just like witnessing her do all that stuff but recognizing that that doesn't serve the bigger picture or mission of what you two are trying to accomplish now yeah yeah and also like my my I mean this is something that's kind of unique that I'm seeing now is there's a lot of people that at least when we were kids we were set on chores like there was no way that we were going to do anything cool unless chores were done. As soon as we could use our hands and walk and do everything, it's like we had shit to do in the house. So it definitely wasn't this like mom does everything. So very begrudgingly, like I pretty early on was like, okay, I'm gonna learn how to do my own laundry. I'm gonna learn how to do all this stuff. Cause honestly too, like I wanted to get out of my parents' house as soon as, as possible. You know, I was, I was just a lot of trouble. I did a lot of a lot of drugs when I was a kid and was put into institutions several times before I even graduated high school. So everything in me was I was really thinking I was an adult by the time I was 17 years old, which was when I got sober. So I'm approaching 15 years sober this upcoming December. And I've just been on this I've never liked being dependent on anybody. I've always wanted to depend on myself and myself only because there was always so much chaos and movement going on around me when I was young. So talk to me about the chaos. Earlier, you talked about the big T and the little T. What were the big T's that happened to you in in your childhood? Or that you experienced? I don't like the word happened to you, but what were some of the big T's that you experienced in your childhood? Yeah, and I appreciate that because, yeah, I mean, the the big T's that were going on, you know, because I was involved in doing a lot of drugs and selling drugs. Um, as a little girl, when you're in that lifestyle, you inevitably get put in and around people that are going to take advantage of you and exploit you. And in my case, raped uh, on several occasions. Um, and so those were, those were like the biggest things that were going on. Meanwhile, you know, back at the ranch where my parents are, it's like, they're just wondering like, what the hell is going on 
with this kid? Like, how do we help this person? She just literally does not want to be helped, which was where I was at. Like there was, and and I'm convinced because I've been uncovering this even more because also last year I ended up leaving the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous because when I got sober, when I was 17 years old, I was convinced that if I stay sober, nobody's ever going to touch me and hurt me again because those things happened because I was involved in that lifestyle, right? That was the idea that I sold myself. But right now I'm dealing with some things where that... That thing that I constructed where I told myself, as long as I'm sober, I'm safe, shattered. Because it essentially happened again as I was sober, when I was 10 years sober. I got assaulted. And, um, and it really took, you know, stepping away from the program. I mean, also like when I was new, new, new. <laughs> I'm kind of jumping around a little bit because my brain's a little jumbled. I think it's like a trauma response. When I was like only 15 years old and I'm coming into this program, you know, they tell you get a sponsor, do these things. And so I get this sponsor whose husband is still, you know, getting fucked up and doing drugs. And this man rapes me. So I'm 15 years old. Now this is intertwined, right? Like, oh God, I'm trying to get better, but like this is happening and yada, yada. And it's like, I don't know if you're familiar with 12 step programs at all, but I was trying to run this through the lens of 12 steps and I was kind of at a standstill because there's this, there's this part of it where you essentially take ownership of a part of this. So, you know, the people that I'm working with are like, well, if you weren't in that, if you weren't there, it wouldn't have happened or you could have not done this and that wouldn't have happened. And at some point I kind of woke up and was like, no, that's not okay. Like, it's never okay to touch a little girl without her consent. (laughs) Ever. It doesn't matter what the fuck's going on. You're not allowed to do that. So I exited AA and actually um, spent several months going to hypnotherapy, like undigging this kind of shit because it was really locked in to me. And then um, in October of last year, I did a mushroom trip, which was kind of felt like 10 years of therapy in one night. And I worked and processed through a lot of guilt and shame that regular talk therapy wasn't able to do for me because I really feel like I'm a gold medal therapy goer. Like I know all the words to say. I'm, I'm not uncomfortable disclosing but I kind of needed this ride through my brain without the seatbelt and definitely not in the driver's seat. And that's what that accomplished for me. And it's very, very powerful medicine. I have not done it since, but um, I do know that these alternative healing therapies are starting to get very popular, especially working with people that have chemical dependency, PTSD, and other diagnoses like that. Okay, so I've never tried any of the alternative therapies in terms of mushrooms or ayahuasca or 
I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to ayahuasca. No, just oh. psilocybin mushrooms. Okay. Yeah. So p please uh, walk us through the details of that because uh, I have friends who are starting to embark on that journey. I have friends who've been on that journey. Um, and I've, like I said, I've never come close to that. Um, I, I, I've had an edible, um, if that counts, but you know, that, that I don't think that had the, uh, therapeutic effects, uh, that I had heard about. <laughs> so please tell me, t not only tell us about what that experience was, um, and, but also like maybe if there were something you would have done differently or added to it or not done. Yeah, well, it kind of kicked off with this um, whole investigation I started doing into the origins of AA and the co-founders. And um, so it's Dr. Bill and Bob. And towards the end, um, or Dr. Bob and Bill, towards the end of um, Bill's life, Bill Wilson's life, he started to hang out with people like Aldous Huxley um, I don't know if you've read any Aldous Huxley. He wrote Brave New World, um, a couple other really awesome books. I'm actually like looking at my bookcase right now. Um, Brave New World is like one of the coolest books I've read recently. That's by him. Um, but anyways, these were people that were experimenting with LSD. So imagine that you're the co-founder of this organization that is built off of this other formative group that's based on Christianity, purity culture, confession. And you're known as the guy, you're the guy, you're the sober guy that started this whole enormous program. And around 30 or 35 years sober, you start saying, I'm gonna take acid. <laughs> it was not well received by the people at Alcoholics Anonymous, as you can imagine. But what he was realizing because part of that program and, and the whole basis around it, it's yes, it's about staying sober, but it's about introducing you to a power that's greater than yourself, whether that be God or whatever. And so he was trying to create essentially religious experiences for alcoholics because he realized that when people had these experiences outside of themselves, they were getting better and they were staying sober. So I went down kind of a, like I do, if I'm ever going to do anything, I'm going to re research the hell out of it, which I don't even like using that word right now, given like <laughs> what's going on right now in America. But I went down my own academic pathway is what I'll call it. And I started reading a lot of books and audiobooks on um, the benefits and or like the pros and cons of doing alternative therapies for people with sexual trauma, chemical abuse histories, and PTSD. And it is really amazing out of what some of these therapies can do for people. There's like people do ayahuasca or there's ketamine therapies, um, DMT, and psilocybin mushrooms, and LSD. And these are starting to be um, like legalized and more recognized now. It's 
pretty clear that around the time where LSD was being developed and tested is the same time that like the whole war on drugs was starting to kick off. So people automatically coupled um, your deadbeat burnout with these drugs. So all of the research for these methods got cut off around that time and now they're starting to pick back up. So I'll just speak about my own experience with it because for me it was very powerful and I did a lot of work up to it and afterwards because again, I've spent my life without any extra chemicals coming in and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to come out of this experience with shame or guilt just a better understanding of myself and who I am and that I'm a survivor of trauma and that I'm a survivor of drugs and alcohol and I've survived myself because I was trying to kill myself all the time, like multiple times. And so all of those things were really ready to come out. So um, myself and my partner, he made a tea and we drank the tea and um, went on this this journey together and I pretty much spent most of it like stretching and foam rolling on the ground I don't know if you foam roll <laughs> oh yeah I have uh, I have oh. two foam rollers come on that's my yes. oh that's my oh that's my everything <laughs> so I'm like foam rolling <laughs> while I'm on mushrooms and I'm like feeling my muscles and my body and my, my fascia and my tissues and like all these things. And I'm like, wow, this is really, really amazing. And at some point, you know, me and my partner are talking and we're like just being with each other. And he kind of like lays on my stomach, like down by where like my sex organs are. And all of a sudden out of me comes like I just start crying and it's not just your regular tears i sound like a wounded animal like i'm probably going to start crying talking about it because it's still so visceral for me but i felt like everything that's here which i really do believe when we experience trauma within our body if it's at certain body points those body points have like a memory of what happens i mean it makes sense like when we have an injury scar tissue develops in that space. Scar tissue is stronger than regular tissue. It's there so that it doesn't happen again. It's trying to mitigate further damage. And so because so much of my big T's are sexually related, I really felt like this was coming out of my, out of my ovaries, out of my womb, out of, out of that entire area. And it wouldn't, it was like a floodgate opened. And I felt like I finally let myself mourn. Like I finally let myself feel all those things that I drank about and numbed, processed through therapy, and then tried to run through the lens of AA so that I wouldn't, so that they wouldn't eat me alive anymore. And I think sometimes we, we miss some really critical details that are essential 
that are essential to our healing. And if we get harmed bodily, the, the body has to heal. Talking does so much. It really does. It does a lot. But I really felt like a holistic healing. Like I don't want to say mind, body, spirit because I feel like that shit is so over said and blown out but like truly <laughs> like truly it had to be it had to be that and I had to let myself experience my body in a way that I normally don't let myself because we've always got these bumpers on you know and and it was a really important experience for me to have that kind of prepared me on this journey that I'm embarking on now that I can't talk about too much because of legal things, but I'm going forwards with a lot of things that I've been very afraid to do because it's a big deal to try to hold people accountable for when they've harmed you. And so I, I, it, it made me feel ready to do it. First, I want to thank you for sharing your journey in your experience. Um, I know it's not easy. And I, I definitely resonate with um, coming back to the body. Uh, just today, I was laying on my back and uh, a thing that Michelle does is she'll come and press her hands on my chest. Um, and our, our therapist recommended that she'll just like lean all her weight onto my chest. And I don't know what the science is, but I do know my cortisol levels go from a hundred to a zero and I feel connected, grounded. Uh, I feel accepted and seen is, is just a, a beautiful, beautiful moment. I bought a weighted blanket. Uh, sometimes that, that knocks it out. Sometimes a little foam rolling. But I tell you, the hands on the chest, uh, Michelle be trying to sit on my hips, but my I got real tight hips. It's not comfortable. <laughs> Even just me and just, it is, it, yeah, it's maybe I, I had some trauma. It's like, I don't know what's going on down there, but I got uh, tight. I, my mom always said I dance like a robot. So, uh, but, but I would like to salsa. Maybe that will loosen up the hips. But yeah, you're right. It's that that touch, something about pressure, like the right amount of pressure, not just a hug. Sometimes a, a hug doesn't it doesn't suffice, and it's the pressure in the right place, and being able to breathe uh, through it. And and you talked about like the the work that you had done before going into this, and I want to emphasize this to the listeners. It's not like you just drank the tea like they say drank the kool-aid um and then you had this um you, you, this transformation this revelation this clarity this uh it, it's it's a culmination of the work that you had done leading up to it right yeah. without all that work drinking the tea is not enough absolutely 100 percent, and Intention is everything with everything, you know? So it's like, okay, I've done, you know, years and years and years of processing things through AA and I'm not discrediting AA. So I hope that's not the message I'm sending. I think it's a wonderful program that created so much structure for me when I needed it most. 
And I still borrow techniques and things that I've learned from that program to today. Um, talk therapy also amazing. There's so many different methods, whether that's cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy or you know rapid eye desensitization. There's so many amazing things. Um, my preparation again was doing hypnotherapy, which I had never done before, and is was I think a really awesome preemptive step to take because it is tapping into your subconscious and it's very like stream of thought. I mean, there's just fucking words coming out of my mouth. I I can I can go there. So I feel like hypnotherapists have a blast with me because I'll suddenly be like, yeah, I'm in the Garden of Eden, but like the water is filled with tar. And they're like, why is it filled with tar? <laughs> so I'm going to these places completely sober. I mean, these things are within us. It's just a matter of what are the tools that you're using to get there. And I think, you know, anything in excess is not helpful. So like, let's maybe not do mushrooms every day. Like, I feel like I know a person or two <laughs> that kind of goes towards that level with things. So it's not for me. There's no judgment. I, I'm not in charge of anybody else or what, how they do life and how they process things. But for me, like that one thing was really life-changing. And I actually also prepared by talking to a lot of my sober friends before it and afterwards which was really helpful and kind of rounded it out nicely for me so that I could take what I needed to learn and go forwards from there. So the hypnotherapy, you, you uh, underwent that for a couple few months. Yeah. So it's what I'm hearing you say is uh, hypnotherapy along with you incorporated talk therapy into it also by talking to friends beforehand and then you talk to people after did you have a therapist after this to or throughout this process to kind of process the whole thing you know interesting story about that i was speaking with a therapist leading up to it and fell off with her i am like maybe a couple months before because i was having a really hard time with doing online therapy with somebody that I could only see for 30 minutes. And, you know, with this thing that I'm exploring, there's like services available to us, but it's actually been incredibly difficult to coordinate and get a therapist right now. Like, I don't know if anybody else is experiencing that or if there's, I know that these therapists are like, working like hell and especially having the online component they can see so many more people but i'm currently searching for a new therapist and it's actually presenting to be a pretty difficult challenge which i'm really surprised about oh yeah i had a i had a i finally found a therapist um and it took me a couple therapists to um finally find one that i felt safe enough to share with one therapist just felt like they were distracted the whole time. Like they'd rather be somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and then uh, another therapist, we just couldn't coordinate a, a schedule. And, um, and now I have a therapist where I, I'm actually like, I actually look forward to, uh, to talking to her and uh, it being an hour. And, and I will say this, even when you find the therapist that uh, you connect with, 
I, I found that um, it's not just about showing up and sharing your experiences and then, you know, they tell you, you know, whatever they say and then you leave. It's also about discussing the therapy session. So there have been times with my current therapist where I've had to be like, when you do this, it's distracting. Or I need this from you. If, you know, like there have been times where, you know, like if it's at 3.30, she might chime in at 3.01 and I'm, I'm like, or, or at 3.32 and I'm like, I need to know if you're going to be a little bit late. Even if it's a minute, just let me know or I, I need an understanding. You know, like there are things that you'll recognize that you need out of that relationship because it is another relationship. And so it's a it's an opportunity to practice uh, speaking up for yourself and setting boundaries uh, because they're, they're people also and uh, and they don't have it all, you know, they don't have it all figured out. They don't have all the answers. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's just really important for everyone to explore what works for them and that what works for you or what works for me doesn't have to work for you. And so it's a matter of, again, like exploring like, wow, what is the what is the combination that helps me feel most at home within myself? And I mean, at least I hope that's what a lot of us are striving for. I know that's what I'm striving for. I want to go back a little bit to you talked about being institutionalized when you were 15 Mm -hmm. and um, what what were the events that led up to that? And then how did you navigate afterwards? And I'm asking this because um, there's so much mixed research about, uh, you know, being institutionalized, going to a psychiatric ward and uh, the benefits uh, and uh, the the downsides. Um, And I'm a believer that everything is beneficial if utilized in the right way there, everything has a, a side effect. Um, and so what was your experience and what would you hope other people learn from that? Well, the first time I ever went, um, to a mental hospital, I was in middle school. So I'm like probably 12 years old. This is before I ever did drugs before everything. I was just depressed and suicidal. Like... (laughs) I was just there. And so my first time getting put anywhere was because of that. I was doing a lot of self-harm and I just felt so stuck in my skin. Like I just, the the whole thing was wrong. Everything was wrong about it and I just wanted to get out. So that was the initial situation. And then fast forward a few years, I've been in high school now for like a year and a half. I'm using crystal meth, I'm bulimic, um, I'm selling drugs, uh, not only like adding around like school stuff, but I went through like <laughs> my parent, not my dad, but like my mom was pretty religious. So I'm getting confirmed through the Catholic church and I'm like selling meth to other kids at, <laughs> at the fucking church. Oh my God, I was such a treasure. Um, and so... I kind of got to this really bad point and I was really emaciated and 
my muscles were atrophying. It was just a bad situation. And my parents were like, all right, you're going to go to treatment. So I go to this treatment center and it's for eating disorders, you know, which I definitely had the, had the disordered eating, had the body dysmorphia. I mean, if you're on drugs, you're going to be disconnected from your body especially if you're misusing them. If you're abusing them and if you're purposefully not eating and taking them for that reason, like you're not going to have a connection to your body. So that was the next time that I got put in treatment. Um, And so there's just been these roadblocks where like it just wasn't bad enough yet. It just wasn't bad enough yet. And yeah, I mean, it took that last like really when I got out of treatment and started going to 12-step meetings, but ended up getting abused by members of AA (laughs) as a child. And so I used that as a reason to go back out. And instead of getting back in anywhere, I ultimately tried to just drive my truck off of a cliff, but backed out at the last minute. And that's when I decided that I was... I was done doing what I was doing. And so ultimately this last time that I pulled away from everything and was like, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to do any more drugs. It was stopped by that preparation to kill myself. And uh, I mean, it was an upward trajectory from there outside of the other, you know, things that happened. I mean, I really, I really kind of got life together after that it was kind of incredible what was part of that journey for you Uh, and you know your parents are divorced um and you like you know there are a bunch of drugs involved to be to be bouncing back from bulimia drug use drug selling you know like you're looking over your shoulder you probably got the feds on you you know wire tapped up and everything I was just a kid cars outside the window, you know, um, (laughs) um, how, where where do you even start? You know, like, what do you start with bulimia? Do you start with the drug addiction? Like, what was that? Where do you even start with that? Oh my God. I mean, they're all symptoms of the same thing, you know? I mean, this is why I started, um, when I got into working in treatment, I was teaching movement at inpatient and outpatient centers all over Los Angeles and sober living houses. And it's like, yeah, a lot of these people, it's like the the drugs, all this shit. One thing that I do agree with out of 12 steps is that all of this is a symptom. Like the drugs aren't really the problem. There's something deep down inside within you that is unresolved and unheard and unspoken. And we got to get to that. And so it took you know, a process of getting into, it took a lot of time. And again, like the discovering never stops because now I've discovered this other, you know, layer to myself now that I'm outside of the realm of 12 steps. It's, you know, there's just so many layers to uncover. I I love this. And so I would imagine with everything that you had been up to, been through up to this point and witnessed and experienced trust must be must have been or I would still imagine uh, 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 a major thing for you and in learning how to trust 
how did you bring yourself to to trust your your now husband to to trust your your life with him your emotions your story i feel like it's always been very intuitive for me one thing that i've developed very very well is a trust in myself and i'm constantly scanning my body trying to recognize signals from my nervous system, from my gut. And everything points to yes. And the, the, the moment that things point to no, I say them out loud and sometimes it, it frustrates him, but I'm like, babe, I'm sorry. This is just a no for me. And then it's always turned out to be the right thing, you know, that we like dodge that bullet or whatever. But I mean, the second I met him, I mean, just like two weeks after we were like road tripping to Sedona, like it just felt right. Like it was just right. And um, my, yeah, my intuition just hasn't, hasn't failed me yet. You know what that sounds like for me when you said it felt right and, and you, you prefaced that with scanning your body, your guts, your hips, your, your back, your neck, your thoughts, uh, the hands, the jaw, you know, all these places, the traps, all these places where our feet. Um, I, I think when a lot of people talk about it felt right, I think, and, and please correct me or add to or heighten, what they're saying is they felt neutral, that meaning like there was nothing in them that was sounding an alarm. It, it maybe sometimes the fire, it, not necessarily that fireworks were going off, because that could be this, the same, different side of the same coin, meaning like the alarm system and the fireworks system uh, are both um, like that amygdala, you know, like you, you pursuing, um, you know, something that maybe you want, but you don't need, right? Um, and, and, I, and I know like being in a sugar, I mean, you talked about the 12 steps, so I'm in Sugar and Carbs Addicts Anonymous, and they follow the the twelve steps. Like so, we're reading, you know, Bill's book and the because there's not a AA book for for sugar for cupcakes. People are not taking it seriously like that. But but soon soon. Um, but but anyway, they talk about um, being food neutral. So eating foods that don't excite you or you know, make you want to eat more food, but foods also that don't depress you or slow you down, where you're just kind of neutral, or you can eat it and then just keep going on about your day. And I realize, like, I've been chasing so much excitement and thinking that that's what you need from a, a relationship that um, I thought neutral was born, but really, uh, it's where we can really thrive and move forward. Yeah, it, to me, it's a path of least resistance. It's like, is am I, you know, even the whole thing with this house process, like when things don't work out, I'm like, all right, that wasn't the one. And it's just like, non-attachment, keep going. It's just like the right thing will come up, blah, blah, blah. It's always done this for you, TL. You're good. So, yeah, I mean, I like that thought of the neutrality. Um I do like things that are excitable. Like I, I do dig with 
I, I dig that. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, my personal food journey is like, I have to eat foods that make me really like joyful because my, my personal like disordered eating was so much about lack of joy and restriction. And so I, I purposefully like eat food that does make me feel joyful and happy. And it's, sometimes it's neutral, but a lot of times it's like, I want to be excited to eat this and I want this to be very like nourishing for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting, I'm, I'm really interested in everything that you just said about the carbon sugar anonymous. <laughs> is it really like carbon sugar anonymous? Like is it's, that? Yeah, it's called sugar and carbs addicts anonymous S C A A uh dot something dot not dot, dot net dot org not, not, not dot edu. E, no dot uh, <laughs> uh man I, I i can't remember what it is but if you just type <laughs> type it in it'll it'll pop up uh, okay. but it's not yeah surprisingly it's none of those I, I just i remember sending it to someone thinking it was dot org and it wasn't it was like there i was like spoon and cups group or something i don't know okay <laughs> it was something different I mean, um, there's so many anonymous programs it's kind of mind-boggling right you've got like your coda you've got your sla you've got your oh yeah ALA. people in the group are in like they're like yeah my oa group and then in my uh, aa group oh, and yeah. like it, it's like like they're in like four or five like i don't know how you spend time in so many groups it's a lot of meetings like this is SEAA meetings enough for Leo Flowers. Yeah, they always call those people double winners or like triple winners. <laughs> if you're in multiple programs at the same time. Yeah, to me, it all leads to the same path. Like if you, I'm a firm believer as if, you know, in that if you can figure out this one path, then chances are it's going to alleviate the, the, the other areas of resistance. Not 100%. But, um, but, but that's just me. I, I, I like, you know, for me, I, I've been fortunate to whittle it down to sugar and carbs um, and nothing else. So uh, to wrap up here, uh, you have a bunch of YouTube videos uh, and, and I love your YouTube channel. You have thousands of subscribers. And what are the messages or the feedback that you're getting back from your 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 tribe mm. gosh i mean i feel so fortunate um so yeah i have my youtube channel which is essentially my free public forum for anybody and everybody that wants to take a movement class from me um, my primary operation is through patreon which i started to develop a patreon page um, which is like a subscription, you know, you pay every month and you get certain whatever content things from different content creators. So I started making it like a, just over two years ago. Um, so pre-pandemic and, you know, I was feeling really frustrated that when I would teach yoga and bar and Pilates at these LA studios that only a couple people could actually come and afford to take class. 
And that was really frustrating to me because it just doesn't feel right that it has to be such a space of privilege because I feel like everybody deserves to know their body and everybody deserves to have a positive experience in a space that is supposed to be helpful and uplifting and all that stuff. So I set everything at a price that I think makes a lot of sense. And I'm very, again, very fortunate to have built this community of people that trust me and that I get to learn about. Because I also work with a lot of them privately. So we do a lot of private sessions. I do the public classes on YouTube. And then I do classes on Zoom that I post into my Patreon. And it's, it's just really awesome. And I feel just so special that people vibe with me and that I it's not something that I try to like sell I don't know if that makes sense like I get really like turned off by people that are really salesy about like come do yoga with me like I'm just like hey I'm here like if you want to come cool like if you don't want to all good if you don't want to pay for it totally fine. This is for free. If you absolutely want to support me, here's the way to do it. And so that's how I kind of have now found myself positioned is I can help a lot of, I can help a lot more people when I have it structured in this way for accessibility and, and openness for everybody to come. I love that. It's true. I like how you call it a space uh, of privilege. I have been to a few yoga classes where it's, it's donation based, but by donation, they like $20, you know, they, <laughs> and they stand right by the donation to, to see who's donating, you know, get that public oh. pressure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> donation based. I see you. I see, I see, I see what you're doing over there. Oh man. Um, last, last two questions. Um, what's your morning routine? Like, it, like, how do you ground yourself when, when, when we're giving so much of ourselves to other people, how do you start your day to, to give to to give to you to give to Tracy? Oh my gosh! I mean, okay, it's very particular, but not interesting at all, and it's not probably what you think. I don't wake up and meditate for fifteen minutes and fucking chant Kriya or anything like that. I get up, I make my bulletproof coffee the way I like it. I sit on my giant love sack, which is like this enormous beanbag. And I cuddle with my cat and she lays on my chest and she makes like cat biscuits on my face and on my neck. And I really can't imagine not starting my morning any other way other than which she's like sitting right next to me over here. We're kind of codependent on each other, but that's how I start my mornings. Cat cuddles and coffee. <laughs> Oh, that, that sounds like a, a podcast title right there or a right. book or it's something cat cuddles and coffee. Oh, hold on, I'm gonna write that down. That might be the title of this episode. <laughs> cat cuddles. Oh, that, that's great. I love that. The same way as your partner pressing on your chest. Like I need this, this creature on top of me. Yeah. Yeah. I need that oxytocin. Don't, don't yes. be selfish. Bring that over here. Don't be stingy. Yeah. Yeah. Cough yeah. it up. <laughs> see what I did there, cat. See how I did a cat. Oh man, come on! No. I had yeah. too much green tea. That that matcha is in the system today, ladies and gentlemen. I want to apologize. 
Um, and then what are you what are you uh, what are you reading or what have you read that um, you know just resonated with it? it? Doesn't have to necessarily be self help. It could be some uh, classic fiction. But you know, you, you mentioned Brave New World earlier. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you that any other books that have lit you up that you would share? Mm. Um, something very related. So I'm not a great reader, even though. I was an English major in college. I really like listening to books now. Um, It's a way that I process just a lot better. So right now I'm listening to Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Oh, I love that book. So good. I also have the books here, so I could totally just pick them up. And I'm just going to give you the three books that I'm listening to right now. Um, Gabor Mate, When the Body Says No, The Hidden Cost of Stress. Really recommend that book if you are just interested in this very anatomical approach to health and stress that is, you know, kind of goes away from the traditional Western model. And um, and then I'm reading or listening to, um, I'm trying to get through it. It's actually like kind of it's just a lot to listen to because it feels very real. Um, but it's an atro- um, Afrofuturistic work by Octavia Butler called Parable of the Sower. And it's about like basically post-apocalypse in LA from the point of this young woman. And it's really great. So those are the t- three things that I'm bouncing between right now. Pretty accurate for how I'm feeling about everything too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you're worried about what's gonna go down in LA. It looks real post up. It real looks like real Walking Dead up there. I was uh, just there the other week, and it's I was terrifying. Like, like this is my hometown. Like what's going on over here, y'all? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's really sad. Yeah, absolutely. It's heartbreaking. Definitely yeah. heartbreaking. Um, and then last two, I right, last two questions. Okay. What are you looking forward to? I'm really looking forward to being a to owning this home with my husband. That's like the forefront of my mind right now, um, because I think for both of us, it's something that's never really felt accessible until now, and we're really excited to embark on this journey together and collectively build a home. And last question, I always imagine there's one person listening in who is on a precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Tracy? I've actually talked to a couple people and talked to them before they want to do this. And everything that I always like to say is that there's potentially another timeline for you to walk down and you could start that timeline right now. I love that. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, get you some ayahuasca, drink the tea, get you some hypnotherapy, uh, uh, you know, get get a foam roller, get a get a foam roller. It's the cheapest therapy. Get the foam. (laughs) I I, I travel. I got a a, like the, the mini foam roller. I travel with that and my luggage. I stuff my underwear and socks uh, in there. Uh, so it actually doesn't take up a, a lot of space. Um, get a foam roller, call the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK. 
Uh, remember, there, there, it's not just if you are thinking about ending your life. It's when you are in emotional distress, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like you just need someone to talk to uh, and you feel alone, you're in that cave and it's cold and it's damp and it's dark and uh, you call that number, all right? Call that number. It, it, it call it just for practice, just so you can be aware of how useful it is and, and know that you do have a friend on the other end of the line. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you, Leo.